When you're smiling. Hey, you. Bubbly sparkling water is crisp, refreshing, and perfect for any occasion. Kind of like my voice, but in a can. No calories, no sweeteners, all smiles. Bubbly. Crack a smile. This episode is brought to you by Google. Google's two-step verification was built to secure your account and help prevent cyber attacks, even if your password is compromised. That's why Google has made it easy to sign into your account with this additional layer of protection. Just one tap and you're in. Learn more at safety.google. Hello, movie lovers. Welcome to the Best Damn Movie Related Show here on the internet. This is your host, as always, John Gregorio for Movie Loves Unite. There's a few things I'm going to go over with for tonight's show. For instance, I'm going to be talking about Fast and the Furious presents Hobbs and Shaw. This is actually going to be a non-spoiler review, so therefore you don't have to worry about spoilers or any of that kind of stuff going on with that. Now, if you follow Movie Loves Unite on Facebook, I talked a little about a little bit of Cobra Kai, which is also the spinoff show for The Karate Kid. And I want to actually go into a little bit of spoiler territory, talk about it a little bit more and more detail. And also, too, what I would like to see from season three once I actually get to see, once they actually decide on the release date for season three, on the things that I would like to see for that. Oh, and I'm also going to be talking about the Venom movie. Is it going to be directed, Venom 2 movie, is it going to be directed by Andy Serkis or is it not going to be directed by Andy Serkis? That is the big question, but you're going to have to stick around to actually hear what I have to say about that. Then I'm going to talk about my favorite my favorite gangster movies. Now, this is not going to be one of those top five or top ten movies. This is about how I view them as a whole and how I put them in place on what I think that they should be in. But it's not going to be in no chronological order or anything like that. It's just going to be movies that I actually liked. And I think that you guys might actually like them too if you actually give them a chance. Some of them might be a little bit outdated. Some of them might not be. But still, I think that you guys might actually like some of the ones that I actually chose. So, with further ado, let's go on ahead and get into this non-spoiler review for Hobbs and Shaw. Fast and Furious presents Hobbs and Shaw. Now, first off, I'm not a big fan of spin-off movies or spin-off shows or anything like that. I like the original source material. I don't feel like that they actually need to make anything that's separated from the show or from a show or a movie. But but with that being said, when this thing was announced, I really didn't care about actually seeing a Hobbs and Shaw movie. I wanted to see these two characters on the same screen together in a Fast and the Furious movie. But what I have to say is this: whenever I saw the previews, I was pretty I was sold from the start. That this movie was going to be a lot of fun. Another thing too is you can actually turn off your brain, stuff some popcorn in your face, don't have to worry about anything else. This suspend disbelief because some of the because I'm going to be honest with you, the stunts and everything in this movie is ridiculous. You already know that this is going to be a ridiculous movie. This, you already know that you're in for a fun time. That this is unrealistic and this these stunts are not going to actually happen. And that's what it sold you on. And this movie actually knows what it is. And with that being said, I feel like the chemistry between The Rock as Hobbs and Jason Statham as Shaw actually works itself out. I actually like the chemistry between the two characters. As a matter of fact, in the opening scene, you actually get to see the two different sides 
of these characters. Jason Statham's all about stealth, all about taking down the person without being noticed. He's smooth. He's a smooth talker. He likes to actually do things a little bit more smoothly than what The Rock does. The Rock is pretty much like a bull in the china shop where he has this over amount of baby oil and he's huge. Yes, there's actually a joke in that movie, in that movie. but still, you actually get to see the two sides of how they actually do things. And I also like the fact, too, that they actually have Idris Alba in this movie as the villain, this big, huge super soldier. And you're wondering the whole entire time, how are they going to take down this guy? This guy's a beast. This guy is technology all over him. And how are they going to take down somebody like him? Now, the plot is this. There's a virus that's actually been injected into Jason Statham's sister. And... She's been injected with this virus called the Snowflake. The Snowflake, if she, if anything happens, spreads out through the whole entire world. And out the whole entire world will go on ahead and be, and the virus will be affected in through the air. It's up to Hobbs and Shaw to go and stop this virus from, uh, from even happening. And therefore, they actually have to meet up with Shaw's sister. Now, what I have to say is this. I love the cameos that were in this movie. I was not even expecting... Kevin Hart to be in it, or for that matter, Ryan Reynolds, aka Deadpool, being in this movie. Now, the real question is this does it actually take you out of this movie by seeing these two actors? For me personally, it worked. The one hit jokes hit. I really liked where they hit at and everything else. I didn't feel like I was taken out of the movie at all. I didn't feel like it was forced. I felt like it was like a little small nugget to where I could actually laugh at and enjoy the one line jokes. And it actually helps the movie and everything in a way that we haven't seen before. Now, of course, Ryan Reynolds is the person who winds up telling Hobbs to team up with Shaw. And then you also have another person that from England that tells him that he needs to team up that he needs to team up with Hobbs. So that's actually another little interesting factor too that I actually liked about it. You have these two characters who both hate each other, but in the end they actually have to work together to take down the snowflake, take down this end of this virus before it spreads. And not only that, but I I feel like this is actually the one of the best spin-off movies I've seen in a while to the point where it's not forced, it's works very well. It knows what it is. You can turn your brain off and stop popcorn in your face and have a great time. And then, I like the Samoa. I like the fact that it actually shows where Hobbes comes from. And it, he uses, instead of actual guns, he uses stuff from back in the day, what Samoans use, use and everything for weapons. And they try and take down Edris Alba's people and everything. And, you know, it just escalates from there. And I love that I really do, and then there's even this. I know that I said that the stunts were ridiculous, but the stunts made me like you can actually feel the impact from the rock hitting somebody or anything like that. You can actually feel that that's what I actually like because of that. And you know, I really enjoy the like I said, I enjoy the chemistry between Hobbs and Shaw, I thought that was really good. Uh, the plot line is good, Edris Alba is really good in this movie. Like I mentioned before, I thought he was really good for a villain. You actually feel some type of fear towards him because he feels like he's unstoppable. And, he, and they don't know how to bring him down because they're, he's 10 steps ahead of him because he's actually a computer that's actually programmed inside of him to where he's like the superhuman being that cannot be taken down. But man, the stunt works is good. 
not only that, but if you're wondering if there's any type of redemption for Han himself, there is a little bit of this thing where they're supposed to get some redemption and everything for Shaw and some justice for Han. Now, is it to me personally? I like the fact that they that Shaw actually has this feeling of regret of feeling bad for killing Han in in the Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift movie and having to live with that guilt and he's guilt feels guilty about doing it. I like that. It shows a little bit of a human side to him at the same time though. I wish that they would have actually brought that in in the last Fast and the Furious movie where they're actually fighting against Shaw rather than him turning all of a sudden into a good guy because I think that would have been a whole lot better. I feel like if they went on ahead and they fought against him again or whatever, that would actually give it a little bit of more of a thing thing to me. But still, overall, I enjoyed Hobbs and Shaw for what it is. I'm not going to give this like a five-star rating or anything like that. I'm going to let you guys judge it for your own merit and tell me what you guys think. Now, this is going to be one of those movies for me. I'm not going to pick it up and own it or anything like that. It's just perfect for a one-time view. And then there's also a couple of cutscenes in this movie as well. I'm not going to get into ter- uh, spoiler territory with that. But if you have seen the cutscenes and everything, I hope you, that you guys actually enjoy those cutscenes. So, that's my review for Hobbs and Shaw, non-spoiler review. I hope that you guys enjoy that part. Now, let me talk a little bit about Cobra Kai. I love season one. I like how they reintroduce Daniel LaRusso and then Johnny. And you actually get to see how how Daniel is still a winner. He's still doing his thing. He's still, he has his own car deal, dealership and everything now. Johnny is a drunk. He's also a electrician, a horrible electrician, a jock still. And nothing's really changed with Johnny at all. And now then Johnny decides he's going to open up a Cobra Kai dojo and that's whenever everything goes into full, full force. Not only that, but Johnny also has his other kid, uh, has his own son now. And some, and then his son winds up wanting to actually have some attention from his dad. So he figures he'll go on ahead and work for Daniel and everything and seek his dad's attention that way. And he'll know, and he'll know that too, that it actually will take him off. And Daniel has no clue that this kid is even Johnny's kid at all. And I like that aspect to it because it gives you a little bit of a sense of mystery on how this is actually going to come together, how this is going to come into full force. And then Daniel decides he's going to teach his son, Johnny's son, some karate and everything. And there's a lot of tips of the hat to Mr. Miyagi, Miyagi Dojo. There's also him teaching martial arts to his da- Daniel's daughter and everything too. I actually like that. And then, you know, you actually get to see the transformation of Cobra Kai. And this time you have a bunch of of misfits that joins Cobra Kai. And then those misfits actually become the same type of people that were pretty much in the Karate Kid movie that we actually know. And they wind up being the bullies and everything else. There's a total transformation. I love that. I love the transformation from all of that. You go from being an outcast to actually being someone that's actually a bully towards other people. And I like the transformation. I like when they actually do that. Now, season two, you're dealing with a lot of the same emotions and everything. You actually have Johnny that's still doing his Cobra Kai thing. You actually have the original sensei from the original Cobra Kai that wants to actually take over 
for uh, take over Johnny's Cobra Kai dojo and make it his own thing. And Johnny is trapped in between a rock and a hard place. He wants to actually do something right and make this gym not what it was back back whenever Daniel first moved into town or anything. And he wants to go on ahead and make it the way it was. So he's there's a little bit of conflict there with that. There's also the conflict with the son. Again, then there's also uh, Daniel, the different ways Daniel's training his daughter and also Johnny's son in the Karate Dojo, and the Miyagi Dojo. And then there's also this kid who doesn't want to be a part of the Cobra Kai Dojo and joins over to, moves over down to Miyagi Dojo. And I like that aspect too, because it shows that not everybody's cut out to be for Cobra Kai and Daniel will treat this kid with a little bit more respect than what Johnny was actually showing him, even though he was actually trying to teach him life lessons to toughen up. But Daniel will actually show him a little bit a better way of toughening up instead of talking down to him and everything else and calling him a wimp. And that's how Daniel is. Johnny's a little bit more hard and blunt and everything else. So I like that part. Then there's the there's there's always some type of conflictation. That's what I like about it. And when you think that these guys are gonna actually make up, something else hits hard, and something else happens to where these guys have to are split up between each other again. So these guys have a chance at actually making up up with each other after the past and everything. And then all of a sudden that just starts turning around to a total three sixty, and something escalates to where they can't make up and therefore they're back at being enemies again. And there's even a tip of the hat to the girlfriend that was actually in the original Spider- uh, not Spider-Man, but the original uh, Karate Kid movie and everything too. That's that's another thing I liked was the fact that they actually have this thing where they are actually talking about Johnny's ex-girlfriend, which is also Daniel's ex-girlfriend. From back in the first Karate Kid movie. I actually enjoyed that aspect to it. Where it doesn't feel anything forced. It doesn't feel like they're forcing anything out of it. Or anything like that. They're just acknowledging. Hey look. This is her now. She's married now. She has kids now. And that's her life. And that's it. Then. There's also. The fact that Johnny still. Can't get used to the fact of having a smartphone. Or anything else like that. And. You know, people today don't realize how to use smartphones, especially grown adults or anything like that. So I like that little tip of the hat, too. Then there's about balance and how to balance the life, the life of, a, of doing karate and also doing it a lot in real life. I like that aspect. There's still some stuff with Miyagi in there, too. And like I said, this show is really good. It hits where it needs to hit. And I feel like this show is really good. The first two seasons was really good. I was able to binge this with no problem with 10 episodes. And it, like I said, it hits the marker in every single way that you can think of. If you love The Karate Kid, you're going to love this show. And like I mentioned before, I'm not a fan of spinoff movies or spinoff TV shows. But when a show is good or a movie is good, I'm going to have to brag about, about it and everything. Because I want people to actually enjoy what I enjoy and express how I feel. Because I'm that much excited for the next season for Cobra Kai. Now for season three, this is a couple of things that I would like to actually see them do. I want Terry Silver to come back. He was a little bit more of a douchebag in the third Karate Kid movie, but he was my karate. This was my karate kid 
movie. This is what I felt. I liked the Terry Silver thing whenever he was trying to teach Daniel karate and everything. Even though he's backstabbing him the whole entire time. There was just something about the Terry Silver character that I really enjoyed. And I really liked the layers that they actually gave him at that time. Where you have this rich dude that's coming in for Kreese. And Kreese knows that he can't operate the dojo or anything like that. So he gets... Uh, Terry to go in and train Daniel to backstab Mr. Miyagi and to train under him in the, thir- in the third Karate Kid movie. And I would like to actually see this actually happen either with Johnny's son or with somebody to where you can actually have a little bit of a conflictation within that part. Or maybe have Terry Silver train with Kreese and then they both are big huge Cobra Kai dojo masters that's what I like to see but I would like to also see Johnny join in with the Miyagi dojo especially after what happened at the end of the second season I'm not going to spoil anything but something really big happens with that especially the final uh especially the final episode for that season is just amazing and everything and jaw dropping because you don't expect what what happened with this one certain character and, like I said, they gave each character levels of depth. They gave them layers. They gave them everything that you would love from a Karate Kid spinoff uh, show and everything. I really enjoy the Cobra Kai. I hope you guys enjoy Cobra Kai too. But, you know, this is just one of those things that I really enjoy. And I hope you guys enjoy, enjoy it too. Now, I'm going to talk about Andy Circus. Andy Circus last week was reportedly, and I also reported it on the last episode, that it was rumored that he was actually going to be directing the second Venom movie. And now we're in the, under the tambalization, and what I mean by tambalization is the fact that there is the reality of the fact that this thing is actually going to be happening with Andy Circus. Andy Circus is now your director for Venom 2. And I couldn't be happier because he's done a lot of good movies as far as acting goes. I never saw his directing ability yet. I haven't seen the Jungle Book for the Netflix movie. But as far as acting wise, he's fantastic. He's passionate about what he does. He's a great actor when it comes to playing Gollum and other CGI characters and everything. I feel like that they actually got the right person to direct the Venom movie because you can actually tell Tom what to do to actually do, how to actually perceive the character a lot better as a CGI character because he actually does the voice for Venom. So I think that you actually have that little thing going for for Tom Hardy. I, I cannot wait for the second Venom movie. I'm, I actually enjoyed the first Venom movie. I actually owned the Blu-ray for it. And I really enjoyed what Sony was able to do with the first Venom movie. Because they were able to make Venom an anti-hero. And able to actually give him a little bit more layers to his character. To where, you know, the whole entire time you have Tom Hardy, Eddie Brock, trying to talk to Venom. trying to Trying to actually talk to him trying to ease him down to where to a human level to what's right and what's wrong and you can't just go around doing whatever you want i actually like that aspect to it and not only that but it's kind of like a horror aspect as well and sci-fi aspect as well even though i thought that the villain was like one very one-dimensional and didn't really make sense that much but i think they can actually have a chance to actually come out swinging hard with the next villain so i can't wait to see that 
And then I also like the fact that Woody Harrelson is Carnage. So I, like I said, I can't wait until I see the second vil- uh, second Venom movie, especially with it being directed by Andy Serkis. Now I'm I'm excited. I'm gonna be going to see that on opening day. I'm gonna have my ticket ready in hand. So I'm excited about that. So I'm gonna talk about my favorite. Mafia gangster related movies now. Like I said, this is not going to be a top 10 thing. This is not going to be one of those things where I'm going to be talking about my top 5. These are just movies I'm going to be naming off that I actually find interesting that I loved. Whether it was the cinematography, the plot, the levels of debt that each character was able to bring to their character and stuff like that. So, let me go on ahead and get into this. First thing is first, I'm going to talk about The Godfather. I know that's pretty much... A copy and paste type of thing. I know that's kind of like, nah, duh. But whenever you mention mafia-related movies or gangster-related movies, the very first thing I think of is The Godfather. There's no two ways about it. I think of The Godfather. The cinematography, then the story arc with Michael, who comes home from war. And he has to actually go into the family business, even though he didn't want to. Now he has to be the one, the level-headed person, to go in and actually take over his family business because let's just face it when you look at Michael you have his brother Sonny Sonny is pretty much a hothead where he he acts on emotion rather than think out a strategy he's that's what actually uh that's what actually ended his character was the fact because of the fact that he was really a hard-headed person. He acted on his emotions rather than think out a strategy beforehand. If if he thought about it beforehand, he would have wouldn't have been in that whole entire situation. But Michael's arc is really something to see because, like I said, he's he just got in from the army. He has his girl. That's all he cares about. He doesn't really want to be mixed in with his family business or anything. But he is forced in there because of the war with the Bambinos and everything else that actually happens in this movie. And you can actually see that at first, before the transformation, that he's actually hurt by the fact that he has to do this, but he's he has to do what he has to do for his family. And then he has to go into hiding in Italy, of all places, so that way, after all this stuff is done, once, he, once all the heat is off of him and everything, he can go back to the States. And for him to be hiding out all that time, and then he actually gets married, and then some stuff happens with that. Like I said, there's levels of debt to debt to this to these characters that you don't see. Even Kay, the his wife, and everything, she knows that what she's got herself into. She knows that this is not good for Michael or anything like that. But she still supports him. She still winds up being a part of his life. And then once you get into the sec. Uh, second Godfather movie and everything. There's a transformation with Kay. There's also some transformation with Michael about how he's coming up in the mafia and everything too, where I like the fact, this is what I like about the Godfather 2. Yes, I'm combining both of them because you can't talk about one without the other. But what I like about the Godfather 2 is simply this. Robert Nero actually plays Don Corleone, which is Michael's father. And it's a prequel story. And it flashes back between present-day New York to how things were in in his father's day. And how he strategized about his enemies, about how he took the enemy, his enemies down. And how he how Michael now has to actually do what, what Don Corleone did. 
Not only that, but it also shows how Don Corleone came up from the streets, came up from where he was to get to where he is. So I actually like that aspect a lot. So that's what I like about The Godfather is the fact that there's story arcs in there that's actually relatable to how these characters came to be. And not only that, but seeing his father doing what he did and everything to take down somebody that was actually shaking down his own father and everything, and then he winds up coming up, it, that's actually amazing because he comes from nothing, and then all of a sudden he comes up, and then that's how the Corleone family becomes what it is. And I, like I said, that's what I love about The Godfather and Godfather 2. There's levels of depth to these characters. There's layers to these characters. There's story arcs to these characters that we haven't seen in a very long time when it comes to mafia-related movies, even today. And the cinematography is just fantastic whenever you look at the way the camera angles are shot, how every single thing, even the violence, too, it represents what they're going to do. It represents what the shock of maybe something happening. It's not there just to be simply there. It's there to tell a story, and that's what I like about it. <clears throat> Another thing I'm going to talk about is the movie Casino. Now, Casino has Joe Pesci. It has Robert De Niro in this movie. It's directed by Morris Scorsese, and I love the. I love it. I can't help it. I like Casino. I like the fact that you have these mobsters that are taking over the casino and everything. And yes, Robert De Niro plays an Irish guy, and he can't come up from the mob or anything like that. But he actually has his hand tied in with everything that's going on in the casino. He wants everything hushed. He doesn't want loud noise or anything. And then here comes Joe Pesci, who just doesn't care. He's loud. He's obnoxious. He winds up being on the black book in the movie. In the casino, he's not even allowed to even be in the casinos or anymore after what he did. And then there's Sharon Stone, who's a big-time hustler, who Robert Nero winds up marrying and everything. And then some stuff happens with that. Yeah, I'm not going to get into spoiler territory. I know that this is like a 20-something-year-old movie. But I want to actually give some suspense to people who might not have seen this movie. To give them a chance to actually watch it for the first time to experience the same experience that we were able to experience without any spoilers. But there was some stuff that happened with Sharon Stone's character. And she's a hustler and she hustles the casino. She knows how to run the tables. She knows how to do her thing. And then there's the books, the bookings and stuff like that and how that's run. Everything is carefully placed in this movie. Everything is perfectly well balanced, perfectly well executed. The characters are fantastic in this and Robert De Niro and and Joe Pesci deliver the most the to me one of the best performances that you'll ever see in a uh, in a gangster movie at least for right now until I see The Irishman and of course The Godfather was actually really good with Robert De Niro but Robert De Niro and Al Pacino never worked together or anything like that in the Godfather movies they actually in the Godfather two movie because they actually had to film their stuff separate. Nobody, I don't know if anybody knew that or not, but that's just a little uh, film knowledge with that. But Casino was one of those things, too, where the violence actually fits in with what the characters are doing. and actually tells the story about what they're doing and why they're doing it, and it flows well with the storyline. Man, whenever you actually have this one character that Joe Pesci puts in a head vice, and he's cranking up that head vice... You can, I mean, I thought my eyes were going to actually pop out from actually seeing that because I couldn't imagine. And then there's even the part with the baseball bat. I'm not going to tell you why the baseball bat or anything like that, who got the baseball bat. But, man, that was just a brutal scene altogether just to see that scene. 
And I had goosebumps watching that scene and everything. And being, it was just horrific. And and even the car explosion with Robert De Niro in the car and everything too. <clears throat> that was actually something too that they, that you actually have to see for the first time and everything. So, then there's uh, another movie that I like to actually talk about is The Departed. This movie is also directed by Martin Scorsese. It takes place, and then get this, it's actually a remake of Infernal Affairs. And Infernal Affairs was actually a one of those movies that were overseas, and Martin Scorsese actually remade it into The Departed. And The Departed also has a great soundtrack if you like Pink Floyd and stuff like that, and you just want to rock out with that. That's actually a great soundtrack to rock out to. I strongly recommend that. But The Departed is about this Irish gangster played by Jack Nicholson. And Jack Nicholson is also being investigated by the cops. And Matt Damon is actually one of the cops that is actually working with the with the mob with that mob. And then you also have Leonardo DiCaprio, who's an undercover cop that's working with Jack Nicholson's crew. And you're wondering the whole entire time, is is Leonardo DiCaprio going to make it out of this movie? How is this going to be chicken down? How is this actually going to affect Leonardo DiCaprio or in, in everything? It goes into even psychology about what these cops have to go through with undercover work and everything else. Because before long, you're going to wind up working with thinking that you're a gangster and everything if you hang out with these people too long. And you're going to wind up becoming the who you don't want to become. And as a matter of fact, that's actually what happened with Donnie Brasco, if you think about it. He worked with Al Pacino's crew long enough to where he was actually thinking that he was actually a gangster. And he was actually doing stuff that didn't need to be, that he didn't need to be doing because that goes against his whole entire moral code of being an FBI agent. And the same thing going with, with uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. How far is this guy going to go? Is Jack Nicholson going to actually be taken down? What's going to happen with Matt Damon's character? Just the way the cin- like I said, the cinematography for this was really good too. Marcus Scorsese knows how to actually direct, knows that what to get out of his his whole entire actors and everything. <clears throat> and I feel like that he really did a great job with what he did with this movie. So, with that being said, and everything, I really enjoyed The Godfather. I really like Casino. I really like The Departed. Now I'm going to talk a little bit about Carlito's Way. Carlito's Way is about Al Pacino. He gets out of prison. And then you also have Sean Penn. Sean Penn is actually Al Pacino's lawyer. And he gets out. And he tells the judge and everything, I'm not going to do this anymore or anything like that. I'm changed and everything else. And guess what? He actually does wind up changing and everything. He's got his own club. He knows what he's doing. And that's what I like about this, too, is the fact that this guy is trying so hard to get out of the life that he was in. And then he gets pushed back into the position that he was in when he got in prison and everything. And he's trying to be a straight arrow. But instead, his stupid lawyer is pulling him into the crime that he was once in that he's trying to get away from. And you're wondering, too, is this guy ever going to get out of this situation or anything like that? And I, you know... This is just one of those movies, too, where you're like, okay, is Carlito going to rat this guy out? What's going to happen? How is he going to be done? And not only that, but John Leguizamo was even in this, too. And he plays a very good part in this. I really enjoyed Carlito's way and everything. I feel like, you know, the like I said, it's, yeah, it's violent and everything, but 
it's actually uh, the the plot and everything else sets up for what it is. And it's not there just for filth factor. It's actually there to tell a story. It's actually there for a purpose. Which is why I even recommending these movies in the first place. Because of the fact that violence, just to have violence in it, it just, it sucks. But for violence for a purpose, of having it in there to tell a story, to actually give you the details of that story, is something that you actually need to have when you're doing a gangster type movie. So... Then I'm gonna t- now I'm gonna talk about a Bronx Tale. Now a Bronx Tale is actually directed by Robert De Niro. Robert De Niro directed this for his father and dedicated this movie to his father. This is a coming of age story mixed in with some mafia related stuff, and it takes place in the 1950s or 60s. And it's about this little boy named Collateral. Everybody calls him C for short, but. It's about his life, about his friends, about who his real friends are, and also getting the education. His father wants him to have the education that he never had in the classroom. And then you also have Sonny, who's also the gangster, and he's pulling him in a different direction than what his father is. It's a coming-of-age story, if you think about it. And, you know, he's got two different types of classes. Number one, he learned from the Hard Knocks, which is Sonny, and he also learned from book knowledge. So he's double dangerous because he learned from the streets and he also has a he also learned from school. So he's dangerous that way. They're also dealing with prejudices in the sixties when it comes to black people being inside the Italian neighborhoods and stuff like that. And there's also a couple of other things that Collateral is actually experiencing too, wondering who his real friends are, what's going on with them, why are they like the way they are, because Collateral is totally different than what his friends are. And he's and even Sonny is trying to teach him throughout life that, you know, just because it's what your friends are doing doesn't mean that's what you should be doing. And even Robert De Niro teaches him the same t- same thing too. And he also and Robert De Niro also teaches him the fact that Sonny is does is not about respect, doesn't want respect. People fear him. And that's why he gets respect is because people fear him. And then some other stuff impacts Collateral and everything in his teens too, to where he thanks Sonny for what he's done and everything, and some stuff actually happens with that. But this movie is one of those movies that's a coming of age film mixed in with gangster-related stuff, and I think that you guys might actually like it. It's, to me, this is a, one of those movies that's really underrated. It came out in the 90s, so I think you guys are going to actually enjoy that. But that's all of the time that I have for right now, for tonight, but here's the thing. I want to actually, I'm probably going to go see The Kitchen coming out this Friday if it comes out into my theater. Because I really want to see that gangster-related movie and set up in the 1970s based off of a graphic novel from DC. So I want to see that. If not, I'm gonna probably going to see, even though I didn't want to see it at first, but I'm kind of interested in it now. And that's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So I might actually do a Once Upon a Time in Hollywood review. Get my positive, get my, no, no, um, my negatives on that. And why I want didn't want to see this movie in the first place. But... Hey, I might actually do that one because to me, I think that would be a little bit more interesting. But well, you're gonna just gonna have to see what movie I'm actually gonna be reviewing because it's gonna be a mystery. So, until next time, bye bye.